Uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at Jonah. Um, over January, we looked at Hebrews. Over December, we looked at Ruth. Leading up until Easter, we're going to look at Luke, and then we'll see where we go from there. But um, that's sort of the rough plan, at least for the next few months. And like I said, I'm really, we're really praying that, that God will really speak to us and that we would grow in our knowledge and application of God's Word. And um, Jonah, Jonah's probably like an interesting book to open up. How many of you have like actually read through the book of Jonah like recently, like the last few years or something? Anyone? Like it's one of those books that like for me growing up, like it was more influenced by veggie tales than it was like the actual words in the scripture. Like not saying that veg, veg tales are heretics or anything, but do you know, when, when we look at the book of Jonah we can, and we think back to it, we can so often miss the point. I, um, I did a little Google search, and um, I typed in Jonah, Google Images, and this is what came up. I think we've got it. You can't really see, because I tried to zoom out to capture it. Like, but, like, it's always about the fish, yeah? Whenever we think of Jonah, we think of the fish. I mean, I didn't bring a fishing rod, and I've never caught that big of a fish, so my kids' talk would have been terrible, but... It's always about the fish, and it's not, like, wrong, because I think it's... But when you read the story, it sort of gets very little reference. It's sort of almost mentioned in passing, like, this is what happened. I mean, if that happened to me, I would be telling every single detail about it and trying to understand, like, how does that work? But don't get lost with the fish. It's not just about the fish. There's so much more going on. And really, as we look at it over the next few weeks, the big question... Well, firstly, it's... It's almost like held up, like it's a story that's almost like a mirror. That as we read it, you look into it and go, these characters, they're not just characters. So often we can read the Bible and it just feels like they're so distant from us. You know, you read the Gospels and you like laugh at the disciples. Like how could they not get it? When really like we're pretty similar. And as we read through Jonah, hopefully some of the characters in this story you'll go, Actually, I'm a bit like that. I'm a bit like that. Because one of the interesting things about Jonah is the only book of the Bible that ends in a question mark. God asked Jonah a question, and whoever wrote the book left it like that. They didn't resolve it. They didn't sort of give a nice ending to it. It just ends in a question mark. And so as readers, it's almost like the question's asked to us. And so as we go through this story, really the questions are for you and I to wrestle with what does this mean for us? It's not just a kid's story that we tell to our kids and then, you know, we never really think about further than that. But there's something deeper going on here. And the big question, really, when you look at it is, will you allow God to be God or will you try and mould God into what you want him to be like? That's really the big question of Jonah. Will you allow God to be who he is Or do you just prefer a God who you like, who you want, a God who you are happy with? Or will you allow God to be God? So that's what we're going to look at over the next few weeks. And and Jonah, Jonah's an interesting character. We don't really get an introduction to him. It just says Jonah, son of Amittai. There's one other reference to him in 2 Kings where he gives a prophecy to an evil king and a good thing happens out of it, and you sort of, like, 
you read it and you're not quite sure what to think. Was it a good thing that he did or a bad thing that he did? Is he siding with the bad guys or is he bringing God's words and good things are happening? Through it? Like, it's a bit weird. And so when we get to the book of Jonah, it's sort of like, who is this guy? He's a prophet. His name means dove. So he's sort of peaceful, innocent, you know, pure. And then his father's name, Amittai, means faithfulness or truth. So original readers would have sort of been, okay, so he's the faithful dove, honest and true, and he gets sent on this unique mission. No other prophet has been told to go to a foreign country and speak God's word to them. So it's a unique mission. And so God, you know, decides, let's send the faithful, honest, innocent, peaceful dove to these evil people, the Ninevites. And when you read through the story, you recognize sort of the irony of it because he's anything but. Right from the start in verse 3, it says, God says to Jonah in verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh. And what does Jonah do? He rises, but he goes and flees to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And the first thing I want to look at is Jonah's running. It is very clearly the emphasis of the first chapter that we're looking at today. Three times it says that he was fleeing away from the presence of God. Three times it mentions the name Tarshish, like just in case you didn't get it, he's gone Tarshish. And in case you're not aware of some of the other things in this story, it's important to get the, the context. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, all right? They were, rule, they were sort of the powerful empire at the time, They're exacting tax and tribute from the Israelites, so they're sort of in power over them without yet capturing them. That's was to happen soon. And they were one of the most brutal empires known at the time. Like, we've got kids in church, so I can't go into the details because it's definitely not PG. But, like, they did horrific things. Like... Oh, I really want to, like, I had it in my notes, and I'm like, oh, do I, do I? I can't, I'm going to, it's just, I'm a bit of a, I like history and cool medieval war stuff, so I was like, it's like scenes out of Lord of the Rings sort of thing, it's just cool. Um, It's not cool, but yeah, anyway. (laughs) Brutal, oppressive empire. And so maybe Jonah would have been justified in being scared, that, like, he wasn't, he was scared to go there, that's always a justified response. Maybe he just didn't want to, which when we get to the end of chapter 4, that's kind of his heart. Like, I don't want God to save these evil people, you know. And we're going to look at that more in a few weeks' time. But the emphasis is just that he's running away. For those of you not up to scratch with your geography of ancient Near East, um, there's a map. Um, Jonah would have been living north of Jerusalem, so he had to go sort of northwest to Nineveh, which is on the right-hand side there. Instead, it says he goes down to Joppa, southwest, and then he goes all the way to Tarshish. Basically, he, like he's going the complete opposite direction. Like you cannot go like more opposite. In fact, Tarshish was the last port before the ocean, which was just... No one went into the ocean because that was, at the time, pretty much death. So it was literally like the end of the world. It's like us saying, going to Timbuktu. Like Jonah going to Tarshish, he's going the complete opposite 
direction. So this is not just a slip up. It's not like just an accidental, I got on the wrong bus and I ended up in Tarshish. This is an act of intentional disobedience. Pure rebellion. And once again, before you go, oh Jonah, you silly boy, how could you ever do such a thing? I would never do such a thing. If God came and said to me, you know, Joel, go to... Iran and go preach the God. Like, if God told me that directly, I would never do such a thing. I would never go the complete opposite direction. Yeah, I mean, how many of you, like, honestly go, you don't want to put your hands up because you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> I don't have bags of coffee to give out, sorry. See, for, while we might not have the specific call that Jonah had, like, we don't all get a specific call to go to a specific place to a specific people for a specific purpose. We don't always get that direct call. Some people do. The reality is, is that we've all been instructed. We all know how God wants us to live. Like when you read through the Bible, the will of God is relatively clear of how he wants us to live, to have a loving relationship with him, to be loving towards others, to share um, with each other, to encourage one another, like we heard today, to care for the poor and needy, to share the good news, to be generous. Like, when you read through the Bible, it's pretty clear how God wants us to live. But we know well and truly that there are boats going in the opposite direction in our world. And there are boats that we jump on. Whether that's, you know, the boat of consumerism and just getting caught up with our possessions, whether it's just living selfishly and individually, whether it's focusing on extreme pleasure lust, gluttony, all these things. There are all these boats in our society that are going in the opposite direction. We turn good things in our lives into the gods of our lives and we devote our time and energy to them and they lead us away from the presence of God. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we become the masters of justifying ourselves. We can think of a so many reasons why we shouldn't do what God wants us to do. If God prompts us to love that person or prompts us to, you know, do a certain thing, like we become very good at justifying. Or maybe that's just me. I don't know about you. But I've done it many times in my life where I felt like God wants me to do something. And I go, well, mm, I don't know if I have time. I've got to get to this. <laughs> it's going to cost a bit. And I can think of all the reasons why I shouldn't. And I convince myself out of doing what God has called me to do. And so one of the big questions for us this morning as we look at this chapter is to ask ourselves, which way are we running? Are we running like Jonah, away from the presence of God? Or are we running towards him? Which way are you running? And it can be really easy to sort of think of the big things, like think of big decisions, big moments. But what about like the little things each day, your daily habits, your patterns of life, the rhythm of life that you're in, which way is that directed? Like think about, you know, the t between the time you wake up and go to work, you know, the interactions that you have with people on a daily basis, the way that you spend time with your family, like those daily rhythms, daily practices, the little choices that you meet, make every hour. Is that leading you towards the presence of God or away from the presence of God?
Because I think that's like the thing with us is that stepping on a boat to Tarshish is not like a momentary decision for a lot of us. It's not just like one time thing that we go, okay, you know what, I'm going to go complete opposite direction. I think for many of us it's little steps, little steps, little choices that begin to lead us away and then all of a sudden we find ourselves going the complete opposite direction. Eugene Peterson, he decided... He de- he describes discipleship as long obedience in the same direction. Long obedience in the same direction. And the reality is if we are being discipled no matter what, whether that's to Jesus or to the world or to whatever else. So your long obedience, which direction is that pointing? Is it pointing towards Jesus or away from him? It's a bit sucky because I got stuck with chapter one. Chapter one's not that nice, in case you didn't pick up that before. Jonah just disobeys and then ends up in the belly of a fish. Glenn and Andrew get to do the nicer parts of it. But we've got to, like, we can't just pick and choose which, which chapters of the Bible we're going to focus on. That's part of the reason why we're doing these series, is because like, we actually have to wrestle with this. Are we like Jonah? Which way are we running? See, for us to follow Jesus, one of the first things that means is that it means we have to abandon all others. Look at the calls of Jesus when he says to people like, okay, you can follow me, but you have to deny yourself and pick up your cross and do so. You have to abandon your family, your friends, like your careers. And all. If you want to follow me, that's what it means. It means to abandon all others. See, for Jonah to get to Nineveh, probably had to drop some pride, probably had to drop some attitudes he had towards people. He's pretty slow to get on board with the whole idea. If we want to follow Jesus, if we want to run towards the presence of God, it means we need to actually abandon some ships, abandon some other things in our lives, the things that lead us away from God. John Calvin puts it this way. He says, The only haven of safety, the only place of security, of assurance, the only place where actually the firm foundation for our life, the only haven of safety is to have no other will, no other wisdom, than to follow the Lord wherever he leads. If we want to not be like Jonah and hear that call and just go, okay, I'm going to follow that, it means we could have no other wisdom. We actually, it's actually saying that God's the wise God, not me, and so I'm going to follow wherever he leads because I'm trusting that he actually knows what he's doing. It's a belief and a heart change that we need to have, that there's no other will, no other wisdom to follow than wherever the Lord leads. So let this then be the first step. The first step is to abandon ourselves, devote the whole energy of our minds to the service of God. So which way are you running? Away from the presence of God or towards him? What do you need to abandon? What do you need to give up to follow him? Wherever he may lead. So Jonah runs away and he ends up on a boat. And it doesn't get much better. (laughs) This 
scene of Jonah has been haunting my mind as I've been preparing over the last few weeks and getting into this scene of there's these sailors, the ship is sinking and they're doing everything in their own power to try and find rescue. They're throwing off the cargo, they're crying out to the hundreds of gods that they believe in. They're doing everything they can to fix the situation. And where's the man of God? The prophet. The one with the word. The one who knows the the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. He's sleeping. And I read that and I was just like, ugh. Because I feel like that's I feel like that's me. I feel like that's us. I feel like that's a church in our country, in our society, that this the ship is sinking. Like lives are falling apart. Our world is chaos, and so often we are just sleeping on the boat. We're the ones that we know the hope. We believe in the joy and the gospel and the good news, and we know the God of heaven, the one who made the sea and the dry land, and yet we're sleeping. If I look at my daily practice, like very often there's very little God in it. We've been called to a mission. We've been given a word. And are we sleeping? And, and, and see, the really hard part of this story for me is that when you look at Jonah's apathy and his disobedience, who are the people suffering from that? Jonah's fast asleep. He doesn't know what's going on. And yet the sailors are freaking out. The sailors are recognizing that the ship is sinking And they're suffering. Now, this doesn't mean that when we disobey God, that the storm will come and there'll be, you know, the ship will start sinking when we disobey God. Like, that's not. What I am saying is that the ship is already sinking, that our world is already falling apart, it is broken, and that we have an answer. We have hope. We have joy. We have a gospel that brings peace and life. And we've been called to share it, not just sleep through it. I came across this prayer on Facebook this week. I hope it's easy enough to see. There's a lot of words. So it says this. There are many wounded and hurting individuals around the world. You work with some, others live across the street. One of them probably just served you in the checkout line, seated you in a restaurant or served you food. Their chains are alcohol, drugs, abuse, broken dreams, rejection, money and lust. Plan A is for the supernatural, but ordinary people like you and me to one wholeheartedly believe in the victory of Calvary, to be convinced that it was final and complete, and two, to rise up in our role as sent ones, ambassadors, authorised representatives of the victor. Our challenge is not so much to liberate as to believe in the liberator, to heal as to believe in the healer. Plan B is to waste the cross, 
to leave the tormented in their torment, to scream with our silence, there is no hope, to hear the Father say again, I looked but I found no one, to hear the Son cry once more, the laborers, where are the laborers? We need to wake up. We need to get out. We have a liberator, a healer. We've been called to reach out, to go out. We've been sent out. Because one of the things that we can often miss in this chapter, and to be honest, I missed it. I, I sort of wrote this whole message about five different times because I just wasn't like sitting properly. And it, when it got, to, it was finally when I like sat there and I was like, actually, hang on, there's one character I'm missing. We talked about the Ninevites, we talked about the sailors, Jonah. There's one other character that I was missing God, Jesus, <laughs> Holy Spirit, Bible. It's missing God. That, that, the heart of God in this chapter is what should really strike us as well. That God is reaching out to people. God is reaching out to the Nevites. He's reaching out to Jonah. He, he reaches out to the sailors. And that this is the, the very nature of God, that he's relational, he's personal. He's engaged in our world. He, he, loves, and he loves us and he has his in his grace, wanting to reach out to us. And the fact is, none of us deserve it. None of the people in this story, like the Ninevites were terrible people. The sailors are busy crying out to other gods, and yet God saves them. Jonah's the one that should have known so much better than to run away. Like, who, who does he think, what is he thinking, that he can run away from the presence of God? And yet, God continues to reach out, to pull them back to him. In fact, in Exodus 34, when Moses goes up to the mountain and and God, almost like he introduces himself, he gives his name, he says, my name is Yahweh, Yahweh. And And not just, he doesn't just introduce his name, but also what it means. And he says this, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. That when God comes to his people, that's how he introduces himself. That I'm merciful, I'm gracious slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And my my prayer this morning is that we wouldn't just be convicted of our disobedience and our sin, but we would also be convicted of God's gracious love, that he continues to reach out. He reaches out to the Ninevites. It says right at the start that their evil has come up before God. Like God's well aware of their brutality, their violence. And yet, like never done before, God desires to send a prophet their way to reach out to them. The sailors who are busy throwing up prayers, throwing off cargo, trying to do everything they can to find rescue. 
And in a moment, God opens their eyes to see his power. And they make vows and they commit themselves to him. And Jonah runs away. He sleeps on the boat. He gets thrown overboard. And yet, God still uses him. Like, that's part of what's captured me about this story, is that Jonah's running away, doing the wrong thing, and yet, through that disobedience, God weaves a good thing. Like, that is the grace of God, that even though Jonah's doing the wrong thing, people are saved. That's not reason for us just to do the wrong thing, because, hey, God will fix it anyway. But I think it's the grace of God that even in our brokenness, even in our mess, that things work out for good. That God is still in control. That God is still sovereign. And no amount of our disobedience will change that. And so this morning, you need to ask yourself, which, which character are you? Maybe you're like the sailors. Maybe you're trying to do things in your own strength, that you're recognizing that you know, life's not quite how it should be and you're busy trying to fix things yourself, throwing off cargo, crying out to other gods, other things in your life, trying to fix things yourself. And maybe you actually just need to open your eyes and see the power of God in your life. Maybe you're like Jonah, running away from God, sleeping on the job, not being obedient to what God has called you to do. Maybe today is your chance to turn back to him. Maybe you're like the Ninevites. Maybe you feel like, you know what, I've just done some really bad things and I am sort of beyond redemption. God could never love me. God would never want to reach out to me. But the truth is, is that no one is beyond that point. In 2 Peter 3 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. But God is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That for me, as I was wrestling with this, as I was preparing all this, reading it, I felt convicted and if you feel convicted, if you feel like maybe a bit guilty or whatever, it actually, the Bible actually teaches that that is the work of God. The Holy Spirit is sent to convict. That's what it says in John 16. So no apologies if you're feeling a bit like, ooh. But what you do from there is really important. Because you can sit in that guilt and that shame and just stay there. You can try and fix things yourself. You can try and... Or you can actually let that conviction turn you around. Repentance literally means that 180 degree turn. It means to change your mind. One of the definitions I love, you know, repent. We talked about this at our young adults camp last week. Pent is like the highest, the penthouse, the highest. Repent to do it again. To put God back at the highest in your life. That is what Jonah, chapters 2 and 3, we're going to look at that more next week. It's all about repentance.
And repentance is not just a one-off thing you do. It's not just a prayer that you pray and then you become a Christian and then you move on to, you know, advanced teaching. Repentance is, like Shane said, it's this daily thing. I need to keep coming back to it. Keep, you know, getting on, falling on my knees and go, go, God, yeah, I'm going the wrong way. Help me get back on track. God, rescue me, save me. I, I can't do this myself. And God is patient. God's left the door open for us. But you know, this verse, the very next verse, says that the Lord comes like a thief in the night. That eventually the door will close. And, and that the gospel teaches that, it says today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day when we turn back to God. If you feel like that's your heart, if you're feeling convicted, if you're feeling like, you know what, I'm going the wrong way, let today be the day that you turn back. That we would follow wherever God leads. And maybe the first place he's leading us is actually to our knees. To actually surrender again. Give our lives back to him and say, you know what, I've messed up. But I know that you can save me. So I'm going to give you a moment just to close your eyes. I'm just going to invite you to close your eyes and just think about, God, what, what, what is it for me here? What are you trying to say to me this morning? I'm just going to give you 30 seconds to think, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? God, we... Um, we recognize our, our brokenness, our sin, our disobedience. But God, I pray that even in this moment that you would reveal your love and your grace. That we would know that you are the God who saves. The one who reaches out to us. The one who's calling us back. The God who not just forgives us but that pours out so much more with that. So God, may we respond to what you're doing in our hearts this morning. May we know you more and may you lead us to be the people that you desire us to be. That we may know, we may know your love and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to um, finish up by singing this song, Broken Vessels, which speaks of God's love and his grace, but also speaks of how God wishes to use us as well, which is what we're going to be looking at over the course of these few weeks, that, that God uses Jonah despite his mess, despite his, like, you just look at him sometimes and go, what are you doing? Maybe look at ourselves the same way, but know that God in his love and grace, he doesn't just forgive us, but he restores us. He redeems us. He buys us back to use us and to work with us in his kingdom. So let's stand and I want to encourage you as we sing this song, like just to actually take this moment to connect with God. That wouldn't just be words that we sing, but you would pray these words, that you would receive these words and that we would sing them 
really is our prayer that God take this heart open up our eyes to see your love and grace so stand and sing